Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let me start by saying I could not be more impressed with the Seahawks and less impressed with the Vikings. Now, don't get it twisted. The game last night was still essentially unwatchable. But the Seahawks were dead on arrival, starting the year 0-2 in a full rebuild mode. The Legion of Boom had been blown up, and it looked like gum-chomping Peter Carroll had lost what was left of that locker room. Legion of Boom! Now look at him. 8-5. and five. They can still lock you up defensively. We saw that last night. And the difference now is they can run the ball right down your throat. They're essentially a playoff lock and a team that I would not want to run into right about now. They're dangerous. Now, nobody is taking more this morning than Kirk Cousins. Minnesota, of course, brought this guy in to be a difference maker. The only difference he has made is that he's taken a 13-win team and turned it into a 500 outfit. Now, let's be fair. Kirk is not in charge of blocking. Kirk is not calling the plays. Kirk was the dude running for his life last night as Peter sent those young dudes dressed like Skittles after him early and often. But let's also be fair. When you slide a guy a Sharpie and a fully guaranteed $84 million contract, part of what comes with that record-setting deal is an expectation. The expectation being that you will be better than Case Keenum. Hey, look, I saw Kirk Cousins outgun Aaron Rodgers in Week 2 when the Vikes and the Packs pack played to a 29-29 tie. I saw him throw for 422 yards and three TDs against the Rams in the Coliseum. So everybody calling this dude garbage, garbage is purposely ignoring some pretty nice work that he did earlier this season. I will acknowledge that. He's got that in him. However, I did see a tweet last night, a rather alarming tweet from Sportsline. And Kirk... Let's be real for a second. Regarding this tweet, you are not going to like that. You like that? You're not going to like that. You like that? You will not like this. You like that? The blue check account of that sports line tweeted, Kirk Cousins, career stats, record in primetime games, 5-13, and 13. record versus winning teams, 4-24, and 24. record versus winning teams this year, 0-5, career road record, 12-23-2, career record on Monday Night Football, 0-7. So, Minnesota brought this dude in to win big games. So far this year, he's gone out and he's lost every single big game he's played in. He took it on the chin in primetime against the Rams and the Saints. He got eaten alive. He looked terrible against the Bears. He played in the National Game of the Week in the late afternoon slot against the Hood and TB12 last week, and he looked terrible. Then last night, with the entire nation looking on, he threw for 27 yards in the first half against Seattle. Did not put up a point until there was 70 seconds left. Here's a stat that probably did not get enough attention going into last night's game. But since 2012, when both Russ Wilson and Kirk Cousins came into the league, Russ has had the best winning percentage in primetime games. Kirk is tied for the worst. So even if Russ played his worst statistical game of the season last night, fact is, when the chips were in the medal, he made a big play. He makes big plays. When Kirk had fourth and goal and needed a TD, he missed a wide-open Adam Thielen. 
and jammed a ball into double coverage instead. Cousins, shotgun snap, looks to the end zone, fired to the back of the end zone, incomplete! The Seahawks knock it away! It's Bradley McDougal, intended for Kyle Rudolph, right under the goalpost! And the ball knocked away, and the Seahawks dodge another bullet! Now this is really interesting, right? Who do you blame there? Whose fault is that? Thielen says, do not put it on the coaches. Do not blame the coaches. Put it on the players. Thielen said, quote, you hear the offensive coordinator is getting a lot of ridicule, but it's about the players. Players got to make the plays. It doesn't matter what play is called. You have to run that play, and you have to be successful, and it just comes down to execution. That being said, this note just in. Ian Rappaport tweets, source, hashtag, Vikings OC, John D. Filippo has been fired. That just in. That just in. So Thielen said last night, the guy's under ridicule. Don't put it on the coach. Do not put it on the coaches. Put it on the players. And then the OC gets fired this morning. Of course, your quarterback's making 84 mil. You're not going to fire him. Somebody's got to go. They're 0-5 against teams with winning records. A team with that kind of talent should not be playing 500 football. And there's more. Will Brinson tweeted, quote, ESPN Mike just picked up Adam Thielen yelling, it's been there all bleeping day after a big catch and run. Awkward. And that is awkward. Awkward. That Thielen said it. It's been there all day. It's been there all bleeping day. That's awkward. Maybe not as awkward as Kirk's old GM calling him Kurt. Kurt is obviously an important part of our organization and our goal was to sign Kirk to a long-term contract awkward Awkward. listen it's not all on this guy all on him I'm not saying it is I'm saying the numbers are not good the numbers stick to him but there's a lot of playmakers lots of playmakers on that team Thielen Diggs Rudolph Cook Murray Cousins how are they 500 how are they 0-5 against winning teams, how is this possible? But it's always going to start with the guy under center and the guy making all the money. And right now, they're not getting a good return on that investment. Not getting a good return on the investment. So that's where you're going to start. Seven points in garbage time is not going to get it done. Listen, they're still on track to make the playoffs. Mathematically. But they did not bring this guy in and guarantee him hella jack just to make the playoffs. And you don't guarantee that kind of jack just to make the Super Bowl either. Not when you're as close as you were last year. You bring a guy in like that, you pay him that kind of dough, and you do it to win the Super Bowl. And right about now, neither he nor they are Super Bowl worthy. Nowhere near it. Not now. And maybe not ever. I'll say it again. I couldn't be more impressed with the way Seattle has turned this season around and less impressed with the Vikings, who seem to get punched in the face every single time they face somebody who matters. Now they're 0-5 against teams with winning records. You know, there's a word to describe something like that, a team like that, fraudulent. And while it's not all on the quarterback, he is going to have to play a hell of a lot better, or they're going to miss the playoffs. And a team with that talent missing the playoffs would be unforgivable. A Vikings fan... You like that? You like that? You like that? You like that? Yeah, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Another bad, bad performance on the big stage in prime time. Seven points in garbage time. Not going to get it done. 
1-800-636-8686. And now their OC is gone. John D. Filippo. That didn't take long, did it? Where do you come out on that? And meantime, Seattle. Seattle was not supposed to be in the position they're in. Well, Minnesota was not supposed to be in the position they're in, but neither was Seattle. And Seattle is now 8-5. and five, And they are a virtual playoff lock. All right, coming off a weekend, there was a lot to get to. And as is the case, what was probably the best NFL weekend of the year, couldn't get to it all on a Monday. Some of it's going to filter over to Tuesday. I do want to talk about the Packers. They get their win, but Joe Philbin, man, he had himself a day. He had himself a 90 seconds. How about him burning through his challenges in the first 83 seconds of that game? I'll reset that for you. Also, Pat Mahomes. Somehow I did not get to that yesterday in the game that he had. I think he locked up the MVP. In other news, LeBron and Dwanye in their last regular season matchup. I want to talk some basketball. Also, the Bulls. Man, they are a train wreck. They are something else. There's a lot of good stories in the NBA right now. A lot of compelling stories in the NBA right now. Nothing more compelling than the train wreck that is the Bulls. I love these guys. They are my favorite team right now, the Chicago Bulls. I cannot take my eyes off them. And I want to go back to the Vikings. Think about Seattle last night. Seattle may not be what they were defensively, but they're hungry and they've got a chip on their shoulder. And you've got some guys, some young guys trying to make a name for themselves, trying to follow up the Legion of Boom. And they were making plays. And they were aggressive. Most of all, though, you've got Minnesota and they've got these playmakers. And yet nothing they did seemed to surprise the Seahawks at all. Nothing. So... You're not going to fire the quarterback who's making 84 mil, guaranteed, but you are going to fire the offense coordinator. So Philadelphia is not the same without this guy, and now Minnesota doesn't have this guy. Buzz Williams is my guest. Buzz, it is so good to have you back. How are you? I was excited when you called to ask me to be on. I'm doing great. How you doing? Good, good, Buzz. Great to have you back. So let me first ask you, last season you went back-to-back to the NCAA tournament, and that was the first time in more than three decades at Virginia Tech. So what does that mark? Let me start right there. What does that mark mean to you? Um, I'm, I'm humbled to be a part of it. Obviously, I'm grateful for those types of results. I think one of the things that I've learned so much, Jim, since I've been here is, uh, the blessings you see always began with sacrifices you will never see. And for me to take credit for that uh, would be selfish. But I think the president, uh, our AD, Whip Babcock, all of the players, all the managers, all the staff that's been a part of it, if it's been over three decades, then obviously it wasn't one specific thing that prevented that. It was a litany of things. And so for me to think that it happened because I was the head coach, that would be selfish and foolish. But I think there's been sacrifices from the beginning of a lot of people whose name is never in the media guide. And I think that that's where it all began. I think how we coached those kids in year number one when we won two games and nobody wanted me to be on a radio show, I think how they allowed us to coach them set the culture in place and they're just as much a part of what's happened since then as they were when they were here. 
We're talking to Buzz Williams. You know, Buzz, you mentioned that back in year one when people were not looking for you to be on a radio program, fact of the matter is when you took that job, there were plenty of people in your ear saying, hey, are you sure you want to do that? That is not a basketball school. That conference is way too mm. tough. There is no tradition of success. There's so many reasons why this can't work. So what did you see at that time that other people did not? I don't know, uh, Jim, that I saw anything. Uh, in summary, like you said, uh, everything that was tweeted and everything that was written about was I had committed career suicide, which is the same thing they said when I left as the head coach at New Orleans. And I also think that, um, in summary, what they said was it's the worst job in the best league, and it's going to be impossible to change that. And in many respects, just because I'm demented, that was part of what excited me about the opportunity. You know, pack up this tent uh, in Wisconsin and drop the circus down in Blacksburg and see if over time uh, we could gain some momentum and gain some steam. And I think that in some respects, that's what's happened. Uh, we've had a 100% graduation rate of all of our kids that have finished their eligibility since we've been here. Um, so many good things have happened, not just on the court, but arguably just as many lives have been changed for the better off the floor than have uh, been on the floor. And so I'm thankful for all of that and, and also excited about where we're at as of now. Virginia Tech head basketball coach Buzz Williams joining us once again. You know, Buzz, your message I think is very different than a lot of coaches that I talk to. Something you said after one game this season, you talked to your team about ego and about the notion that, quote, comparison is the thief of joy, end quote. <laughs> Why was that message something you want to share with your players, and how have you taken that lesson on board in your own life? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, I probably – uh, am caught at times saying things that I shouldn't say relative to what's happening uh, within our program or within uh, our team. I think one of the things that's happened, Jim, as I've gotten older is the importance of the actual game has decreased dramatically and the importance of all of the things on, quote, uh, a person's box score and the sustainability of those categories have become increasingly more important. I think part of it is uh, I'm getting old. I think part of it is some of the kids that I'm now coaching are just slightly over than uh, my two oldest kids, and I see the things that my children are dealing with and the things that they're trying to grow from and learn about, and I just feel like that's my responsibility. Uh, I, I do completely understand. I'm very self-aware that I'm different that I'm unique or a more appropriate word would be weird and demented <laughs> but I'm I'm very uh pure in regards to the intent of wanting to help grow help develop um our kids our staff our managers our trainers and I think that so much of our world because it goes so fast is comparing part of it's our timelines part of it's what we allow our eyes and ears to see and hear but I think when you're constantly comparing yourself to the highlight of someone's timeline, what ends up happening, a byproduct of that is you have low confidence, you have low self-esteem because you're feeding your brain and your heart things that are not 1,000% always reality. And It seems as though this generation maybe compares way more than the generation that you or I in, and I think that robs us of our joy. And when you
when you don't have joy, that's the key to endurance. That's the key to your business. That's the key to who you are as a person. And when you have joy, you have endurance. And when you're constantly comparing yourself to other situations, other people, in my situation, other coaches, it robs you of your joy. And when you're robbed and you don't have any joy, then it's hard to be the best version of yourself. Buzz. Buzz, that is gold. That That is so good. That is so good, and that is so strong. And that applies to every last one of us. And, you know, it's it's amazing to me that you just said that the way you said that because we were having a conversation, my wife and I, with my son. I've got a son who's now a senior in high school, and we have this very conversation. Like, he's looking around, and he's constantly comparing himself to the other yeah. kids and his GPA and yeah. what he's doing. And I'm like, son, you, you are awesome. You are an amazing yeah. kid. You are doing so well. You are putting so much pressure on yourself. Don't do this. Your mother and I could not be more proud of you. You're awesome. But you're right. There's like, it's robbing the joy from him. Yeah. So what's the message? How do you shut that out and make sure that everybody stays in their own lane. Yeah, that, that's what we've been talking about with our team since I mentioned uh, comparison is the thief of joy. I, I, that is not my words. Obviously, that was a president from yesteryear's words. But I, I think this, you have to be more aware, your son, my sons, my daughters, our players, me and you, we have to be more aware Jim, in my opinion, and I'm not trying to act like I have all the answers, we have to be more aware of what we allow in our brain, the things that we look at, the things that we hear, and so much of what I hear are self-negative self-talk, and we have to be aware of what we're saying to ourselves. and sometimes uh, the best way to change that is when you hear those voices. I tell our guys all the time, I never need to wear any headphones because I have so many voices in my head that I don't need any music. I love music, but I don't need it. But any way that we can restrict what we see and what we hear that we know leads to comparison. And then I think when we have those voices in our head of comparison, we have to have some formula, some routine on, no, I'm going to stop that. And it kind of goes back to what my grandma used to always tell me, out in the country, my given name is Brent, and she would always say, Brent, you can't be anything you want to be. Don't ever believe that. You can't be anything you want to believe. You can be anything you deserve the right to be. And when you uh, process or when I process that last sentence, that makes me more aware of how I use my time. That makes me more aware of the type of work that I'm doing. And is the type of work that I'm doing, is it for me or is it for others? Because people that have a low sense of joy, it's, it's because they spend so much time on themselves, which is where all the comparison comes. Your, your son or my son, they're always comparing themselves to their peers. And so they spend their time thinking of themselves. But Success is what you build for yourself, but significance is what you give away to others. And I think at some point we all have to mature and have enough wisdom to realize, in my opinion, Rome, arguably you're in every Hall of Fame that has ever been created for someone of your ilk. And you did that at such an early age in your career. And so the level of success that you're at today, even though maybe you were chasing that 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 
you process that success differently now. That's my opinion, because you realize that from your place of success, it's your responsibility to change that to a place of significance. And that place of significance is to give away to others. Where's the next Jim Rome? And uh, we need to produce 10 more Jim Romes, and we need all 10 of them to be better than the original one. And I think that it's easier for you and I to do that at our age than it is for our children. But I think if they're hearing those things and we're trying to do that with our players and we're trying to do that with our assistant coaches and our producers, now all of a sudden they view themselves in a different light. And it can't be Pollyanna. It has to be in reality. But you can hold someone accountable when you always talk to them in reality. But when it's uh, Pollyanna, none of that stuff ever catches on because they don't believe it because what you're saying is not reality. Buzz Williams, Virginia Tech head basketball coach, joining us. Well said, Buzz. I understand your point. I appreciate what you said about me. I think, however, a lot of the world would say 10 more roams. I think one roam was one too many, but I appreciate it. I see you working. Hey, Buzz, last thought. We've got a couple of minutes, maybe 90 seconds. You're a voracious reader, and you've been talking about a book that you read, Leaders Eat Last, and we're talking about this in, in effect, really. What was your takeaway from that book? What did you like about that book? that it's always for someone else. I think Simon Sinek is our generation's John Maxwell. I think he's way ahead in regards to how he processes information. I've read every article, every book. I think Ron Holiday is the next guy in our generation. He's younger than us, but they're just so far ahead in regards to what leadership is. And so I've read everything, watched every TED Talk, um, but I do believe the premise of all that stuff that – Sinek and Ryan Holiday uh, write about, for sure. Buzz, I love Ryan Holiday. I love Ryan Holiday. I'm really glad to hear that you hold him in regard like that, but I'm not at all surprised. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's super. Have you spoken to him? Yes, sir. Uh, I've met him, spent time with him. He came to campus. He spoke to our team, spent time with me. Uh, He's on my monthly contact list, so I write him every month to tell him thank you and he's uh, I read everything that he writes. Me too. Me too. I read I read his books, and I had him on once, and he said to me, Buzz, like, it's so surreal, Rome. I can't believe it. I grew up listening to you. I can't believe it. I'm like, wow, this is really surreal because I couldn't think yeah. any more of you reading your books. Buzz Williams. Buzz, I would say the same thing about you. I've always said that. I know you've got unfinished business, but it's amazing what you've done there. Virginia Tech, 8-1, and one, number 13 in both polls. Buzz, I appreciate you very much. Great to have you back on. I'm very grateful that you would ask. Thank you so much. Have a great day. But to me, the best action, the must-see action, the most compelling action is in Chicago. Yes, I said it. Chicago. I know what you're thinking. Rome, they're DFL. They're 6-22. and What are you talking about? They fired their coach, Fred Hoiberg. Why are you so into watching a team that's so crappy? My answer is you got it all wrong. They're not awful. They're not crappy. They're especially crappy. And they're on the verge of a full blown mutiny so let's go back for a minute the Bulls fired Fred Hoiberg after a 5-19 start they turned that team over to Jim Boylan makes sense it was a rough start for the season maybe it felt like it was time to change up shake some things up and to that I would say mission accomplished Boylan led that team in a tough practice on Monday the athletic described it as quote a rigorous two plus hour practice end quote Again, it makes sense. You send a message that there's a new guy in charge. So, they had a road game on Tuesday night in Indiana. But before that game, their shoot-around 
went longer than 90 minutes. Then they go out and they lose to the Pacers. And then Boylan reportedly required the players to watch clips of their missed rebounds and their turnovers. And then he challenged their toughness and their conditioning. And that's good stuff now. I love it. A 90-minute shoot-around, they get hammered. He makes them watch tapes or clips of their rebounding and turnovers and then questions their toughness and their conditioning. All right, so you know, you know already they resent that. But then he chases that with another two-plus-hour practice on Wednesday and then another one on Thursday, and there was a lot of running. Lots of running, and according to Yahoo Sports, it included, quote, military-style push-ups, end quote. So what do they have to show for that? They go out Friday night, they beat OKC. That's a great moment. The work is paying off. The Athletic reported it as, quote, Boylan's first career victory and the first in eight games for Chicago. He celebrated at home with his family, eating cereal on the couch and watching reruns of Family Feud. End quote. Hell yes. You show me a head coach who celebrates wins by eating cereal on the couch and watching Family Feud reruns, and I will show you a freaking winner. Based on that anecdote alone, this guy's practically Red Arback. Except he's not. Because the following night, the Bulls then go out to play the Celtics, and they get beat 133-77. And if you need your calculator to figure out that margin of defeat, don't sweat it, I got you. 56. A 56-point beatdown. 56, as in Lawrence Taylor's old number. 50. Mm. Totally trashed. Mm. Totally trashed. 56 points. Boylan subbed out. All five of his starters in the first quarter of that game. And then he ran it back and did it again in the second half. And if you felt like that was some sort of middle school tactic, well, wait until you hear what he had to say after the game when he was asked why he did it. Jim, how, how do you make sure that they don't construe it as you sending a message or you embarrassing them? I mean, there, there, there is a fine line when you talk about professional players where they... Some of them feel like, well, it was just kind of embarrassing to get, have it done twice. Yeah. I think your play's embarrassing. He's subbing them. is saving them, maybe, Joe. Maybe we save them. So the pro player thing, this is basketball. This is about honoring the game and doing the right things. So I've worked with Greg Popovich. He's subbed five guys a ton of times. You know, nobody says a word to him about it. So he felt that was best for the team. I felt that was best for the team and where we were at. He went there. I played for Greg, or I worked for Greg Popovich. He did it. Nobody said a word when he did it. Can you imagine this guy coming in there? Hasn't been a head coach. Running these guys into the ground. Military push-upping them into the ground. And then throwing Pop's name around. Like, yeah, I used to work for that guy, you know. You know. Yeah, well, one thing on that, Jim. The reason why nobody says a word to Greg Popovich when he does that is because he's Greg Popovich, arguably the greatest coach in NBA history. You worked for Greg Popovich. You aren't Greg Popovich. But more on that in a minute. 
because it gets even better. Because there was another practice that was scheduled for Sunday, but the players started texting Saturday night, and they were on the verge of boycotting it. Like they were not going to come in. But according to Yahoo!, It's even worse than that. One veteran on the group text threatened to personally fine any player who showed up on Sunday, which is amazing. Normally, the vets are punishing the youngsters for not showing up. In this case, a vet was reportedly threatening to punish a player for showing up. The only thing would have been better than a fine would have been a vet saying, you show up, you get punched in the face. You show up, you deal with me. So eventually, they settle on showing up. They show up at the facility for a players-only meeting, followed by meetings with the coaches. Oh, and then somewhere along the line, Bulls players reportedly contacted the NBA PA about Boylan's tactics, according to Yahoo, in that meeting with the players on Sunday. Quote, Boylan repeatedly referenced his days on the Spurs staff and instances in which Coach Greg Popovich pulled all five players off the floor to send a message, sources said. A player responded, sources said, telling Boylan, in essence, they aren't the Spurs, and more importantly, he isn't Popovich. Damn. I mean, once again, always one thing for a knucklehead like me to point out that Jim Boylan is not Greg Popovich, but quite another for one of his own players to say the exact same thing. I mean, a Chicago Bull has not dunked on anybody that hard since Scott Pippen threw down on Pat Ewing and then stepped over him. So to recap, Boylan took over on Monday. By Saturday, the players were nearly in a full-blown revolt. They had contacted the Players Association. They needed to have a players-only meeting and then meetings with the coaches on Sunday to avoid a full-blown mutiny. Oh, and at one point, that coach had cereal on the couch and watched Family Feud reruns. And I don't think the ones where Richard Dawson used to make out with all the contestants. Yeah, because that wasn't awkward. See Dawson leaning over to tongue kiss the contestants. Like, how was that okay? Like, Dawson, why are you Frenching the contestants? I mean, how about just shaking their hand and saying, welcome to the show? Different time. Different time. Anyway, so... So they chase all of this. All of this goes down, and what happens? They show up and they chase it with a 19-point loss in Sacramento or to Sacramento where they were booed off their own court yet again. And that's still not the end. It gets worse because according to the Chicago Sun-Times basketball Twitter account, as Sacramento was walking off the floor, one Kings player yelled out, quote, Uh Uh-oh, another two-and-a-half-hour practice for them tomorrow. End quote. That is so good. Sacramento Kings are talking junk about your two-and-a-half-hour practices. I mean, holy crap. Now you have reached a stage where the opposing team is openly mocking you. If beating the Thunder gets you cereal and family feud reruns, what does getting booed off the court against the Kings get you? Hot pockets? In match game reruns, either way, the Bulls are my favorite new team. New favorite team. I can't wait to see what's going to happen to them next. Hey, Chicago, you know me. I'm a glass half full guy. I always like to give you something positive. If I give you something negative, I want to balance it out by giving you something positive. So let me give you some good news. Your football team is bad ass. Now let me give you the bad news. Your basketball team is just plain ass. Football team, badass. Basketball team, plain ass. 
I love these guys. Miles Turner is my guest. Miles, great to have you on. How are you? Good, good, man. How you doing? Doing great. It's great to visit with you. So I mentioned you were coming off a monstrous game last night. Just to reset that, 26, 12, and 5 blocks. You've been on a roll lately, but that was next-level stuff. Did you know going into that game that you had something special working, and then when you're out there and you're dominating like that on the floor, what's it feel like? Oh, it feels great, man, just to go out there and have a performance like that, especially in front of our home crowd. And the biggest thing I want to do is just go out there and just, just play as hard as, as I possibly could. That's what I've been doing over this uh, past couple of stretching games, and it's been working for me. But so you're taking it kind of in stride. Let me put it to you another way. Your teammate Darren Collison said after the game, quote, I'm going to be real with you. When you look at Miles and the type of player he can be, it's almost scary. He's long. He can roll to the basket. He can pop from mid-range. He can pop a three-pointer. And he can play defense. Most bigs can just play offense or just play defense or just roll to the basket. Miles has every tool a big in this league needs at some point in every game. End quote. I mean, Collison is a vet in this league. He's been around a long time. This guy does not throw compliments like that around. So what's it mean to hear that from him, that kind of respect from him? I mean, it's huge. I mean, me and DC have a great relationship, and just to have that, uh, knowing that he has that confidence in me only boosts my confidence, especially down the stretch. So it's, uh, I feel like this whole team has been built off of, you know, it's our, uh, our camaraderie and our confidence in each other. Miles Turner joining us. Now, as a team, you've won four straight, and you've done so without Victor Oladipo. So what's to say about how good this team is that you can keep on rolling even without Vic right now? Uh, we're, I think we're a great team, you know, with Vic or without Vic, you know, um, you know, we obviously, you know, obviously host not having our best player out there, but, um, you know, we have, we're so deep and we have so much depth on this team that, um, you know, anybody can step up any given night. And I feel like that's, um, you know, it's a credit to our, you know, our front office. That's kind of like how they, uh, put this team together and, uh, base this team in the off season. And, you know, it's been working for us and, um, uh, you know, hope we keep the train rolling. Miles Turner is my guest. When Paul George was dealt, it seemed like everybody gave up on the team, but you guys simply did not give up on each other, and then you had a huge year last season, and now you're backing it up with another big year this year. So what's that say about the toughness and the mentality of the guys in that locker room? Um, I think the whole mentality um, to itself um, really builds into our resiliency. I think that we came in, um, you know, especially after that trade, and said, look, man, you know, everybody's counting us out, but we have so much talent here that, you know, if we just go out there and just play, play as hard as we possibly can, you know, night in, night out, you know, we're going to be in a lot of games, and that's kind of what we built our identity off of last year. Um, you know, Bo Bojan had a career year at D.C., had a great year. Um, obviously, Vic, you know, he rose to his ascension. Um, I mean, it's just guys just stepped up out of nowhere, and we just really, you know, came out and uh, laid the foundation for what, we want to, what this organization to be. Pacers center, Miles Turner is my guest. Listen, I know you're not going to make it about you, but you are a huge part of this. And when you've been asked about the secret to taking the next step this season, you've said it's just a matter of working hard. But I think in that sense, you're kind of underselling yourself a little. At the end of last season, you said that you saw yourself in the mirror and you thought you looked a little bit pudgy. What was your reaction when you saw that? And then how'd you go about addressing that? What did you do? Um, well, I feel like, you know, our body fat was just really high. It was like 14, 15%. And um, I just... I wasn't necessarily out of shape, but I just wasn't in great shape, and I wasn't in, you know, that shape I came into the league as, you know, coming up, coming in as a rookie and whatnot, and that's when I was moving at my best. And, um, you know, I just told myself, you know, I'm just, just going to work my ass off this summer, and um, I had kind of took a new approach and put a new plan together and kind of uh, went out in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and just uh, just really worked on myself, you know, mentally and physically. And, um, you know, I'm starting to work on my body, working on my, on my stamina, 
and just working on my overall game. Man, that's strong, especially for somebody so young. Like, for instance, I had Nate McMillan on the show earlier this season, and we talked about the commitment that you put in during the offseason and the fact that you touched on this. You didn't just change your diet. You also went to work on your body, and that included working hot yoga in the offseason. What was it about yoga that made you want to try that and get into that? Oh, I've, been, I've tried yoga in the past, and um, I've always been a fan of its benefits, so I've never really did it uh, once I started to get warmer, I took it a lot more you know, seriously. Took a lot more upon myself. Um, it was just uh, I just my durability got better. You know, I was more and more flexible, and then I just uh, started feeling better. So especially when I got on the floor. So uh, from like a lot of first couple of weeks, I tried it. I was really nervous, and I was like, it's just kind of a waste of time. But once I started doing it more and more consistently, I was really benefits from it. So listen, you wrote a piece also for the Players' Tribune earlier this season, and you talked about Turner's Block. It's a group of fans in Section 101. How does a fan get to sit in Turner's Block? What's that all about? Well, it's something I started a couple of years ago, and um, it was uh, it was originally PG's. Um, once he left, I wanted to uh, you know take it over and uh, kind of try to bring it to new heights and whatnot. And I basically hold, held a tryout, and uh, basically, you know, fans come and audition. They literally have like. 30 seconds just to act as crazy as possible. And then if I like it, you know, I pick them. You know, if I don't, you know, I'll try again next year, you know, kind of thing. But um, there were a lot of fans that came out this year, so a lot of support. And then um, it was crazy. Like, I had I had some girl, like, get down on one knee and propose to me. Like, I had, like, people, like, running all around the gym, silly string. It was it was crazy. It was, it was like a whole bunch of stuff you couldn't even imagine. It was, it was pretty awesome. So just to show up, just uh see how fanatic any of the fans are. It was pretty crazy. All right, and then one of the additions went down. One fan performed a version of black and yellow, except went with blue and yellow, included a Rick Smith reference. What did you make of that? Um, well, his his video was awesome. Like, I, I watched it, you know, more than a couple of times, and um, and uh, I, showed, I showed my family, I showed up my boys, and he did, a, he did a great job with that. Just the whole the lyrics, just the whole performance of it, the delivery, it was pretty cool. And, um, I think I got him up there, but um, that was a, that was pretty cool. We're talking about Miles Turner for a few more moments. You know, we talked about all the work that you put in, and it's paying off, and the numbers are there, and the team is playing well. It's also led to a lot of attention in the sense that you're getting run now as a possible defensive player of the year, also an all-star. What's it mean to see all of that and all that hard work pay off the way it is? Um, it's paying off. You know, it paid off really well for me. You know, I'm not I'm not necessarily concerned about those kind of things right now. You know, my biggest big concern is to help my team win, and if that's being the best defensive player, I'll do it. If it's uh, having to form an offense, then I'm going to do it. But, you know, my approach is to uh, come out here and just be myself, you know, not uh, not necessarily conform to, you know, what um, I guess what the media or what outsiders want me to be. It's just all about what my team wants to be. See, the thing is, you're still just 22, and yet from the outside, you play a lot older than you actually are. One of the guys that you played with that you learned from was Al Jefferson, always one of my favorites. What was it like to play with him, and what did you learn from him? I love playing with Miguel. You know, I think he really, he really got my jump hook right. You know, he worked, we worked a lot on just my jump hook. I've always had a hook shot per se, but um, he, the way he shot his jump hook is a little different than from a typical big. You know, and uh, I work on that a lot with him. Um, he's just a really good guy off the floor. Man, he's just a good vet. You got to have a locker room, just learning life lessons from him and whatnot. Um, that was a big part of uh, everything I was doing. Lakers and Heat met last night at Staples, and there was some time for some sentiment, some nostalgia, because that was the last time that LeBron and Dwayne 
would face each other in a regular season game. LeBron and the Lakers win that one 108-105. But man, there were a lot of subplots. Starting with this, going into that game, you may or may not know this, but the two of these guys were 15-15 and lifetime against each other, so give LeBron the tiebreaker. Then there's the fact that it came down to the final seconds. It came down to LeBron hitting a pair of throws to give LA a three-point lead. Then, then, with a flair for the dramatic, LeBron switches over to Duanye for the final possession. Got 12 seconds. It's LeBron on Wade. Wade bottled up. Wade to tie the game. It's not close. Magruder on his way. Winslow. Lakers are going to win it. And they do. Pretty dramatic. And then there was that moment where LeBron nearly ended Kelly Olynyk's life. He's shooting it again. That's off target. And LeBron, oh, look out. Throws Whoa. it off of Olynyk. <laughs> I mean, he fired it off of him. Fired it off of him is right. Naked grandma. It's James Kelly wanting to reset that flight deck. (laughs) Kelly Olenek, that's one of those classic plays where if you're watching on CBS Sports Network where the one guy is going out of bounds, he tries to throw the ball off an opponent and get the possession. Except LeBron did not just kind of throw the ball off Olenek. He rifled it off him more accurately. He fired it into his junk. Oh, he fires. <laughs> and that's when Olenek went down like he had been shot. And I can't say that I blame him. And I'm not sure that I would have gotten up from that myself. But last night was not about LeBron trying to kill Kelly Olenek. It was about LeBron and Duanye. And LeBron could not have hyped his old buddy any more than he did. He talked about that time in Miami and what that meant to him. And one other particular conversation when he and Wade went on vacation after they lost to the Mavericks in the finals. Remember that. LeBron said, quote, they got on my ass. My agent, Rich Paul and D. Wade and even Gab and my wife, they got on me. They were just like, listen, you need to get back to who you are. We understand the portrayal of what they want you to become right now. That's not you. You didn't get to this point in your career by playing the game with the black hat and with that mentality of it's me against the world. You need to get back to that Magic Johnson feeling mixed with some other guys, that Penny Hardaway flair, but still that determination of MJ. You need to get back to that because that's just who you are. You are who you are. You're no one else. Don't try to be no one else. And that started from the first day we got there. And then we enjoyed the rest of our GD vacation. I took that to heart. I definitely took that to heart. And that just changed me from that point on, end quote. That's really interesting, actually. Pretty high praise. That Wade challenged or changed LeBron. And it was one conversation that turned LeBron back into LeBron. And that might be something to that. Because LeBron of today is nothing like LeBron in that first season of Miami. Remember that? Remember when LeBron was trying to wear that black hat? Didn't fit well at all. He was not that guy. So Duanye said to him, man, take the hat off. That's not you. Get back to being yourself. Enjoy this GD vacation. So about that final possession, LeBron said it was bound to happen. It was inevitable. Quote, I wasn't supposed to be matched up versus him, but I made the switch. I mean, it was only right. And obviously... He checked me the last offense possession that we had down there as well. It was only right. And I told him, I said, what's the odds that our last game would be in an environment like this? He was like, thank you for coming here because our last meeting is in Staples Center. 
I said there's only two places that could have ended it. It's here and Madison Square Garden. End quote. Wait, hold up now. Madison Square Garden. MSG. And it's at that point the Knicks fans everywhere freak the hell out. Like, wait a minute. You mean LeBron could have signed with the Knicks in the offseason? And this game could have been played right here in MSG? I mean, Knicks fans who have been hating themselves for decades now were self-loathing more than ever before. Yeah, one thing, Nick fan, that's not what he was saying. Far from it. He was not saying that there was a chance that he could have been playing for the Knicks this year. There was never a chance that he could play for the Knicks. Why would he do that? He was talking venues. He was talking about the venue for his final game against Duane and that it had to be a place of significance, you know, like Staples or MSG. <laughs> not that he would have been wearing a Nick uniform. Man, settle the hell down, Nick fan. That could have never happened. Never. Oh, and here's one other note for the Laker haters out there. L.A. has won six of seven. They've done so without Rondo. They've done so without Brandon Ingram for the past three games. And all those rocket scientists with all their lava takes about how the Lakers were not a playoff team are looking dumber and dumber by the moment. It is a long season. The West is nasty. But folks who were writing this team off before the season even started and even after only a few games could not look any dumber and more ignorant than they look right now. I mean, could it fall apart? Sure. But the idea that this was not a playoff team, even with all of its unusual parts, was always a lame take. When you have LeBron, you have a chance. Actually, when you have LeBron, you have way more than a chance. And they've won six out of seven. And if the playoffs were to start today, they'd be there. And in a pretty good spot. And all humor LeBron. He and Duane go way back. They want to have their moments last night. And that was kind of nice and sentimental and nostalgic. They can have that. If they want to switch off on each other, that's fine. If LeBron wants to tell a story about how it was Duane who told him to get back to being him, that's fine too. Couple of Hall of Famers, banana boaters, Dolphins running back Frank Gore is my guest. Frank, it's been a minute. It is so good to have you back. How are you, Frank? Hello. I'm good. What's up, Jim, man? I know it's been a long, been a little minute, man. I'm doing great, Dave. Man, it's great to have you back, Frank. So glad you did it. Listen, you've been around the game a long, long time, Frank. There's nothing you have not seen. What did you make of the end of that game against New England, the so-called oh, Miami man, Miracle? It was, it, was, it was great, man. It was crazy, man. Um, you know, cause we uh, we do practice that place like on Saturdays and walkthroughs, and um, man, and our coach always tell us, man, the game not over till it's still zero, and we fought for four quarters, and you know that was the last play of the game, and we got the victory. I was happy for Kenyon Drake to um, get the touchdown. We're talking to Frank Gore. Kenyon Drake's your guy, Frank. In fact, that's a guy you've taken under your wing and you've mentored. He calls you the GOAT, and he talks about how you changed his approach to work because of what you've taught him. Knowing that, what did it mean to you to see him get into the end zone and finish off that play? Uh, I'm, I was very happy for him. You know, um, just knowing how much he you know, how much he loved the game and how hard he worked every day and how, how bad he wanted to you know, be one of the top guys as a position, man, and I was so happy for him, but we got a big win. You know, and you know, he did a he did he did what the coach told him to do and he finished, you know. 
Frank Gore joining us. He did finish. Now, Frank, when you were interviewed on the field after the game, you made the point that it was a great team win and the team was built for moments like that. Take me inside that locker room. How would you describe the mindset and the kind of grit that team has? Um, man, the locker room was great. And just knowing, like, all the stuff we've been through this year, like injuries, like a bunch of key players, and we're still fighting. We're still in the hunt. And just you know, just believing in each other and our coaches and just we work and we grind so hard, man. And I'm I was just happy for a big you know, a big a big great team win. You know, especially playing the guys like um the Patriots who always, you know, run the ALC man and we got the, got a chance to beat them. We're talking to Frank Gore. Now, Frank, you yourself chewed up some serious yardage on the ground, and they were all tough, physical yards. How much pride do you take in the fact that your number kept getting called and you kept delivering against a good Patriots team? Oh, I was, I was, I was happy, man. You know, I'm, I've been blessed to play this game, and I'm still playing. And you know, if I couldn't play this game right now, I won't be playing. And uh, you know, Coach Coach Gates told me, man, he's gonna, you know, let me keep going, and he did. And I was gonna try to take advantage of every opportunity he gave me on the field and that's what I try to do. Frank Gore, my guest, you know, Frank, I mentioned off the top, you're now fourth all time in rushing yardage and on Sunday you passed the Danian Tomlinson for fifth all time in yards from scrimmage. It's a couple of big time milestones. How much pride do you take in those two numbers? Um, I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. You know, um especially coming out of college. You know, everybody's saying I won't be in the league two or three years. Um, but I, I won't be in the league only. I will be in the league only for two or three years. And man, look at me, man. I, 14 years in, I've been, I've been blessed. Uh, you know, I'm still having fun. And man, my name been mixing with the guys who I respect, like Jamie Thomas, um, Barry Sanders, and, and the list goes on, man. So I'm just, man, I'm just happy and I'm enjoying it. Man, 14 years, Frank. 14 years. Everybody wants to talk to you about your age. I'm not going to go there because that's nothing but a number, but you're having another big year, and you're getting Pro Bowl run. What would it mean to you to get back to another Pro Bowl? Oh, man, it'd be be, be big, you know, especially like like, like what you said earlier, everybody talking about age. And I I want to show people it don't matter. You know, as long as you love the game and work hard and believe in that man up above, everything can happen. And that's why... you know, I'm still playing at a high level because I don't listen to what uh, another man say. what I can't do, you know. Never, Frank. You never have. And the thing is, I mean, you love the game. You're coming from a place of love. But I want to point out, you've got a shirt that you've been known to wear sometimes, and that shirt has a message which reads, do it for the doubters. What does the message mm-hmm. mean to you? How much motivation do you get from the doubters? Well, you know, I, I've been doubting my whole life. You know, not just on football, just, you know, me struggling in school. I've been even had teachers saying I won't go to college, you know, because you know I want the smartest in school, and that's why I tell kids don't never let no one tell you what you can't do, you know. And you know, just being doubted when I did tore my two ACLs, you know, people saying I'm not gonna go to the NFL, and when I did get drafted, I got re- I was it was a reach of a third rounder, you know, and the list goes on, man. Uh, you know, I just. I just want to keep working and keep proving and showing the people that, you know, anything possible, man. As long as you believe in that man of God, respect what you do and love what you do and you can do it. Frank Gore joining us. Of course, you did go to college. You went to the U, and you made it very clear that your time in Miami is not a retirement tour. The numbers show this, Frank. Um, I get it. But as somebody who went to Coral Gables High and the U, what's it mean to you to be back in Miami playing for the Dolphins? What's that like? uh, I love it, man. The fans been showing me so much love, you know, just knowing because I, you know, just knowing my story, you know, knowing how hard 
took me to get to the NFL. And, man, you know, I'm home. You know, I'm home. I've been blessed to have a great um, high school career. And, you know, I've been on some great school teams. And when I got an opportunity to play in the room, I did some great things there. And now I'm home to finish my career at, at, in, the, in the NFL for the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, um, I'm still having, you know, a pretty good year, you know. And, you know, hopefully we can just keep trying to win as a team to try to get in the postseason. So that would be, be, be a blessing right there. We're talking to Frank Gore. You know, Frank, your teammates just rave about how much they've learned from you and not just about how to play the game, but how to approach the game, how to be a professional every single day. You don't have the success you've had on the field and off without being a professional. I'm curious, so many guys have learned from you. Who were some of the teammates you first learned from when you first came into the NFL? Well, well, I paid attention, you know, when, like, top when guys came to on. Um, Forty Niners like like Isaac Bruce, um, Anquan Bolden, like guys who I respect the game. You know, uh, I just to talk to them all the time, even just watching them like doing warm ups. You know, uh, I should see like how, you know, how Anquan Bolden used to be the first one on the field. You know, getting the set ready, and I just took that from my, out of his book and put it in mind. You know, um, listen to Isaac Bruce every day. How, how he always tell me, don't, 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 don't listen to what people in the NFL say when you get a certain age. You know, and you know, and I, and I just always kept that inside me, and, you know, and I just learned from it, you know, and I just try to do what they try to do, do what they do, you know. We're talking to Frank Gore. I get it, especially Bolden, man. He was just so tough, so, so tough. Right, so. You know, Frank, you have been spending some time around the scouting combine in recent years. What have those trips been like? Are you looking to kind of set that up post-playing career? What's the trip to the combine been like? It's been great, you know, especially um, – you know, seeing a lot of these young top guys at, at the position, running running back position, doing great things. Like the kid out of New York, um, Boston, man, he is very—he got very special talent. He's doing great things, and just seeing Zeke, um, man, Zeke, I think Zeke's probably the, the, the top top guy in this league right now at the position. And just happy to see that the young guys getting the running back back how how it should be. You know how it was back in the day. You know, I wonder when you're looking at when you when you're looking at players and you're evaluating players in your mind, Frank. What makes a good football player? What are you looking for in a player when you evaluate talent? I, I, I like to see a, at, at the running back position. For one, I like to see how tough they are, and also at, at a running back position, how can they can they create in small spaces? You know, because in the NFL you really get big big holes. You know, if they can create and they're tough, you know, they got a chance to be a, a, a great back in the league. Frank, before I let you go, I know you've been spending some time. You've been able to watch your son, Frank Jr., who's playing high school uh-huh. football right now. Man, I got to know, what's that been like for you? I've uh, been, been a blessing, man. I haven't saw him play since he was probably four or five years old. And, you know, my first night when I got an opportunity to see him play, you know, just hearing, like, people say how good he was. But, you know, I didn't think it was – I thought that was the same just because I was a dad. Man, my first game seeing him play, man, he had a great game. Uh, I was nervous more than he was, man. I was, man, that was, was good. I was very happy. And I'm, that's one of the reasons I'm happy I'm home, too. So, Frank, what's his running style like? What's his game like? How's he look? Uh, I think he, he, he could do everything, man. He's got great vision, great feet. He's very smart as a football player. He can catch the ball and run from route. Uh, I just, I just got to get him in that weight room more this year. <laughs> Okay, that was going to be my final point, my final question to you, because he is getting a lot of attention from programs around the country, but I know you've been training with him. You've been working with him. What kind of uh-huh. lessons are you trying to impart upon him, and can he keep up with the old man? I just tell I, – I, I, I just try to show him. You know, I try to show him, like, he know what type of career I had. 
But like I try to tell them, like, you know, when we working out, you know, I train with other guys in the morning. But that second workout, a lot of guys don't do, you know. So and I try, I try to tell them, man, you got to, you got to out, you got to outwork everybody. Put in your mind that make your mind that strong that you don't care about. You won't, whoever you got to compete against, you're gonna be better than them. So I try to show them like how hard the work take, take every day, one at a, one one day at a time, and just keep your head down and grind. Frank, I would imagine. I mean, I know he's got opportunities. How is that young man not committed to the U yet? Oh, uh, you know it's different now. Yeah, I, I want him to go to a, a college where fit him. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna let him make his own decision. And you know, hopefully, you know, I would love for him to go there. But you know, I'm gonna let him make his decision on whatever college, whatever program fit him the um, best to, to show his talent. That's you know, that's what he'll do. Preach. Preach. I guess I got kind of caught up in a minute in your career and your background. Frank, I can't tell you. In fact, last thing, have you thought about I know you still have some business to tend to, and you're playing really well right now at a really high level. Have you thought about what it's going to like to put on to put on that yellow blazer when that day comes? Uh, I never thought about it. I'm still playing, and you know, um, you know how it is. You never know, you know what, you know, that decision when that time comes. You know, I will be very happy I will be man, you know, because, you know, just when you look back at my career, how tough and how hard it was to be here, you know, and hearing everybody saying what I came through and if I get the opportunity to wear a yellow jacket, that would, that would be everything right there, you know? Dude, I can't imagine that that would ever be sweeter for anybody. There's been a lot of guys who have overcome a lot of things, but from day one, man, you've had to battle and grind and fight and mm-hmm. scratch for everything. I mean, literally yep. every single yard, Frank, every yard. Yep. I appreciate, I appreciate you. It. I appreciate you. It's been a minute or so, Frank. So good to have you on the show. Thanks for doing that. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you, man. Good night now!